Well, good morning, friends. Uh, you probably had no idea you're going to get a technology video this morning, but it was really cool. Uh, I was just talking to staff over there that uh, you could see everyone getting their phones out and actually doing it, which is awesome. So, hey, this is something that we've been creating for about two months now to get it into your hands. Now you have your notes from every teaching wherever you go, on your phone or on your tablet. And again, we're going to try to do the best not always, but we'll try at times to make sure that we include devotionals for the week that help encourage what you just heard on Sunday morning. So download that Bible, free Bible app, download it. You can do it now because I'm going to cover a lot of ground this morning, and you may want to take notes and just get out your phone or tablet and take notes right there. And remember, remember, remember to click save, okay? You got to click save or every note you write will be lost forever, all right? So click save, click save, click save. Turn your neighbor and say click save. They got to know it, all right? Hey, especially, I'm going to give you the warning now, in two weeks, uh, track four of our summer mixtape, track four, I'm going to take us to, I think, the weirdest story in the entire Bible. And you sit there and you're like, dude, why is that even in there? It's so weird. But it's a ton of ground to cover for us to understand it. And you're going to want to take notes that week. So that's a perfect time. Again, this week is going to be perfect because I'm going to cover a lot of things also as well. So, hey, turn to your neighbor and say, giddy up. <laughs> hey, well, welcome to track two of our summer teaching series titled Summer Mixtape. Pastor Brandon launched us last week, kicked off our series with track one, all about prayer. Track two now is going to be about the Bible. It's pretty cool. I am so passionate about this teaching because this is the reason why I get up every Sunday morning and do what I do, okay? So if you want to follow along on your tablet or your phone or your Bible, turn with me to the Newer Testament, to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we'll be, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And while you turn there, uh, let me just kind of pick you up on what's happening in this letter. This is a letter written by a guy by the name of Paul. And Paul is in prison in Rome, and he's going to shortly be executed. This is Paul's last letter that he writes before he dies. And he's writing to a guy by the name of, can you take a guess? Timothy. He's writing to Timothy, who's his young protege. Timothy is like a son to Paul. Paul has no biological children, but he calls Timothy his true beloved son. And this is what he think, his first or second letter he's written to Timothy. Trick question, not really. What is it? What do you think? Second, that's why we have the two in front of Timothy. He's already written Timothy once. This is his last letter. And Timothy is a young pastor in the church in Ephesus. Now, we have the letter Ephesians, which is where the church is. The church, or the, uh, the city that Timothy is pastoring in, is about 400,000 people during this time. Uh, it's the port city. It's the fourth largest city in the time of Jesus. And this is a young pastor. And Paul wants to write last words to his beloved son, who's not his biological son, but the one that he's been training, this young pastor in this huge city. And here's where we're going to pick up. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 says this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know that you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
Now, what Paul's doing here is he's just encouraging uh, Timothy. Hey, Timothy, just I want to be reminded of who you are. Because since you were young and to where you are now as a young pastor in this huge church or in this huge city, be reminded about the power of Scripture, that you can thrive in God's Word. And then all of a sudden, he wants to impart these last words to his young protege. He says this about the Bible. All Scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what I want to do this morning is unpack these four things that Paul highlights to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, there are four things that God's word is useful in your life, in my life. And I want to highlight what these four actually are and how it applies to you and to me today. So let's begin with the very first one. The first word he uses is all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. This word teaching in the Greek, which Paul is writing in the original language, the Newer Testament's written in Greek. We get a little bit of Aramaic here and there, but most of it's Greek. The word teaching is didaskalia. Let me hear you say didaskalia. It's the Greek word that means teaching or instruction. It's the first word that Paul uses to tell Timothy, I want you to know what the Bible's useful for. This is what we think when we probably, most of us think, what the Bible is good for. We think, yep, it's to teaching and instruction. We open up God's word and it allows us to understand how God formed the earth, how we're to live into it, how we to live like Jesus well in our lives, how to be a better mom, a better dad, how to deal with unforgiveness and bitterness in our lives. And this is what we think of when we think of God's Word. This is what it does. It's our instruction manual, if you will, for us. So we're probably good here. Every morning you and I wake up, we've got paths to walk. And this is reminding you and I, as followers of Jesus, that God has a path for you and this is the path you're to be on in the world that your Creator created. This is the path to be my son Jesus to the world. So we get this one. Didaskalia, the teaching, the instruction of God's word. But Paul uses a second word. The second word that Paul uses is scripture is useful for rebuking. This word rebuking in the Greek is elegmas. Let me hear you say elegmas. This is the idea of elegmas, rebuking to expose or to bring to light, is this idea of a light and a vase. In the ancient world, you would take pottery, and if you were a potter maker person, (laughs) you would examine it under the light. This vase represents you. It represents me. And the lamp represents God's word, scripture. And the idea is to look at you and say, Where is there broken? Where is there a crack that we need to fix? And the beauty of this word elegmas, to bring to light, to expose, to rebuke, it's always done in private with compassion and grace. This process that God uses in his word is never to shame you. 
It's never to discourage you. But it's God saying, look, my vase is precious. You are so precious to me. And I need to make sure if there's a crack that we can fix it and repair it and put it on the right path because I don't want the vase to break. And that's God's word. It's what he does to us. Not only do we get the instruction of how to live out the life well, but it's to say, is there any crack within me? Where am I getting it wrong? Where am I getting hung up? Where am I not looking like Jesus? And God, you have to use your word to expose that to me. So that's elegmas. Turn to your neighbor and say, elegmas. So, so far, so good. We've gone through two of the four that Paul uses. The next one Paul uses is the word correcting. The word correcting in the Greek is epinothorsis fun little word. It's a medical term. It means correcting, improving, or restoring. Now get this, how Paul is writing to Timothy on the reminder of what God's Word does to us in our lives. Number one, know how to live your life well. Number two, if you have a crack in your life, I got to expose it. And number three, when it's exposed, I got to correct it. Now, I have this huge bone here as this example because Paul's using the medical term. Oftentimes, when you and I break a bone, we got to go to the doctors. For some of us, we take x-rays and we see it's broken or cracked or splintered, whatever happens. And as we go through the healing process, we get a cast or a splint on, and it takes weeks and weeks, and we have that smelly thing on us for a while, right, until they finally cut it off and we're good. But this is where you and I tend to get hang up or hung up on with Scripture. We don't like pain. And oftentimes what happens is if a doctor has to reset your bone and they go in and reset it, it can be very painful to you. And this is what God's Word does to us. After we know how to live a life well, after we know how to be a better mom, a better parent, after we know how to just be a better person in our neighborhoods and live like Jesus, after something gets exposed, God has to fix it. God has to correct it because it does not look like his son. And he doesn't want you to walk around with a broken element inside of you. And he's got to correct it. What I love about um, this, this book, it's called 30 Days in the Land with Jesus. Charles uh, Dreyer writes this, and he writes about this particular thing, that what God's word does to us, this correcting, improving, restoring. Here's a quote, what he says. He says, obedience and humble submission to God might sometimes involve temporary hardship, but those times are designed to help remind us that obedience to God's word is more important than personal comfort. And we live in a culture of comfort. And we don't like pain. But pain can be a very valuable asset because you know what pain reminds us? Something is wrong in my life. And I need fixing. So that's what Paul's getting at. Instruction for life. How allow God's word to teach you what does it look like to live every day for Jesus, be Jesus to the world. That's his plan for your life. What does it look like if something's wrong in my life? I got a little crack in my vase. I've got some unforgiveness and bitterness, and God's got to correct that in my life. 
And then the last of the four words he uses is this word training. The training means paideia, upbringing, training, or disciplining. This I have represented as my favorite hiking shoes. These, are, these shoes are gray, so it's my favorite shoe color right away. And then the tread on these have a lateral tread, but what makes this shoe so important to me, and when I hike the mountains of Sturgis all the time, it's what's so awesome, is on the bottom of the shoe has a mud release surface. I can walk through mud and everything, and mud will never cake to the bottom of my shoes. And then on the side, I've got these little prickly things too as I traverse huge rocks and boulders and my shoe won't shift when I need it, when I don't want it to shift. My shoe will not shift. I love these shoes because I can throw on these shoes and tackle any environment I want to. And God's words is saying, you will have trouble in life and I need you to handle life well. There's training that happens. So when you hit the valleys and the lows in your life, you know how to handle it and still look like my son Jesus. So four elements that Paul is writing this young pastor in this huge city. Be reminded how to thrive in God's word because it's useful for teaching and rebuking, illuminating what's wrong in us to correct that so you can handle life well. Here's, can we read this verse together? 2 Timothy 3.16. Are you ready, friends? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, don't miss this part. Let's read this together. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul's reminding Timothy, why should we go through this process of God's word? Because Timothy, you need to be equipped for what God has in store for you in your good work. And here's what's so awesome about this. So Paul's writing to Timothy, who's the pastor in Ephesus, and Paul is going to write a letter to that church in Ephesus that you and I have in our Bibles called Ephesians, and this is what Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus that Timothy's the pastor of. He says this in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's what? Handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do, what are those two words? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So not only is he reminding Timothy, their pastor, listen, this is what God's word does to you and me, and we have to go through it because God has stuff planned for our lives. We got to know how to handle it well. Then he writes to the church and says, hey, church, by the way, you are all God's handiwork that are created for purpose, on purpose for Jesus Christ. Why go through this? Because God's plan for the world is you. It's me, and you and I have to live like Jesus well. Are you representing Jesus well in your life? And for some of us, we're like, yeah, I just, I like some parts of this, and that's ah, too much, you know, I, I just can't do it all. Let me, it's, it's not just so we can be good people. It's because it would be pretty compelling in our culture today to be an amazing spouse, 
to be that mom or dad or that uncle or aunt, that grandparent that shows up at sporting events and just cheers on the team is just a good cheerleader. To be that amazing coworker, that awesome teammate, not only in the workplace, but in the schools and on the sports field. Just to be that neighbor who's incredible at serving because you know your neighbor can't do what they need to do. They can't mow their yard. They can't take out that trash anymore. But to be that neighbor, to serve them well. And that's what Paul's getting at. And you may say, mm, that's kind of humdun. It's so compelling in our culture today. But before we close, I want to pick up on one word that I didn't highlight before. This one word that only shows up twice in the entire biblical text. Only two times does it show up. Once here and once in Genesis chapter 2. We're reminded of this word, God breathed. The other time I just mentioned in Genesis chapter 2, it says when God's creating everything and he takes the dirt and he's going to form, um, it's actually Adomai, it's plural, it means dirtling or earthling. Now, we, we just make it Adam and call it Adam. But what it says is that when God comes down and he, he begins to create and he takes the dirt and the dust of the earth and he forms, it says he actually forms the human, the Adomai, the dirtling. But it's not until God breathed his breath does it come alive. And then there's life bursting forth. And for whatever reason, Paul's saying, these aren't just black words on white pages. The Bible breathes. God's breath covers this entire thing. It's active. It's dynamic. It's moving. It's not static. It's not stale. It's life-giving and life-changing. This thing is alive and active, and it will change people. What an incredible thing to understand that this only shows up twice in this whole thing and once here when we talk about this thing. My question for us is, have we made room in our lives? Do we have margin in our schedules to sit down and say, all right, God, breathe life into me with your words. Help me go through this process. See, you have an issue. I have an issue. We haven't created enough space to allow this to happen. So turn to your neighbor and say, you got a big issue. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, I got a big issue too. I think our invitation this morning is to allow the creator of the universe to breathe life into us every single day by reading what he's already breathed life into. So you may ask this morning, well, how, how do I do this then? How do I actually walk through this? What do I do? I'm going to briefly cover about five elements super fast what to do if you don't have this in your life every day, okay? Briefly, let's go through this. Number one, you got to determine a goal. Determine what your goal is. And I'm going to share what I do. You don't have to do what I do because I know some of you are like, well, you're a pastor. You probably do a ton more than what I'm comfortable with. No, no, I'll tell you. My goal is to go slow. My goal 
for the last 75 days, I've only gone through 31 chapters of Genesis. 75 days, I've gone through 31 chapters. I go at turtle pace, okay? Because the point is, some of you, you're on a read the Bible in a whole year, which I applaud because I think every follower of Jesus should get through God's Word and understand His story. Get through it some way, somehow. My only issue is, don't just go through the Bible. Get the Bible through you. And that's different. So, Ryan, what do you do? I just read until I feel like God's spoken to me. 31 chapters in only 75 days. I go slow. Here's another goal of mine. As soon as I finish an Older Testament book, I'll read a Newer Testament book. And when I'm done reading the Newer Testament book, I'll jump back into the Older Testament. So I alternate, so I'm getting both perspectives. So I get stories, more stories in the Older Testament, more application, if you will, in the Newer Testament. What's my favorite? I love the Older Testament. All right? Our staff is torn. Some of us love the Older Testament. Some of us love the Newer Testament. I would be that professor that's like, I'm Old Testament professor. Like, yeah, give me the stories and the weird things, right? That's me. You got to determine your goal. For some of you, it's a chapter a day. Awesome, start there. For some of you, I read this morning, I read 14 verses this morning before I got here. My time alone in the chair, only 14 verses, and I was good. Because God was speaking through me for speaking to me in just 14 verses. And I'm like, all right, get the Bible through you. Don't just go through it. So determine a goal. Second thing is this, find a time that works, okay? My time is in the morning, always in the morning. That's where I'm fresh. I do my best work. How many of you are just, I do my best work in the morning. Anyone else, like, you're your best? Anyone, like, I do it later in the day. I'm a day. Any, like, people are like, I love to stay up really late. I'm a night owl type of, okay, so, see, we're going to all be different, but find a time that works for you, and some of you didn't raise your hand because you're like, I don't copy you, pastor. You're annoying, all right, but some of you, you got a time, okay, there's a time that works for you. you I saw some of you like, I'm not raising my hand on anything right now. Find a time that works for you. Mine's just the morning. That's the way, that's my routine is in the morning. Every once in a while, I try to throw something in at night. I'm not always perfect at it, but I try to be perfect in the morning just to make sure that's my routine. And not only when you find a time, you got to set action triggers. So I told you my morning routine. Here's my action triggers. I got two. Shower, make coffee, Now's my time. Every morning is the same for me. Shower, coffee, it's my time. Even on a Sunday morning before I come in here, I have my devotion time. Shower, coffee, it's my time. Here's an amazing study that they, just, um, they did in England. They took two groups of people who had, hip, I, I believe it was hip surgery, um, hip replacement surgery. They did a little study on them, put them into two different groups. This group over here was saying, hey, you do your exercises that you have to do, your rehab at home, here's the list, and we'll check up, up, you, up on you in two months from now. This group over here, they said, hey, we want to set an action trigger in your life. As soon as you have your first cup of coffee in the morning, do your exercise, your rehab exercise, we told you. Two months, 60 days later, they bring the two groups together, and the scientists realize this group over here that had that action trigger of drinking a cup of coffee first and then immediately doing their rehab exercise healed twice as fast 
as this group over here that didn't have an, ex, uh, an action trigger and just said, hey, do your rehab exercise sometime during the day. We have to put action triggers in our place so we know, shower, coffee, I read. Shower, coffee, I read. Whatever action trigger, find that. And then within that, you have to build a habit. Science used to say 21 days to build a habit. Now with technology, and we're in a 24-7 culture, hurry, 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 66 days to build a healthy habit. A little over two months. You're going to have to spend building this habit of what it looks like so God's word can speak life into you. 66, don't give up. It's going to feel mundane at times. It's going to feel confusing at times. Don't give up. Write down questions. If you got a journal, journal. Write down questions. Do all sorts of things. Email me questions. I would rather have 100 emails every day from, uh, from you guys because you guys are trying to eat this up than never hear anything. I'm going to brag on our vice chair of our board, Jeff Carey. I get a text message from him about 6.30, 7 o'clock almost every morning asking a question about his devotion. And I sit there and go, I know he's eating this up right now. I love that. Sometimes I have the answer. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know. I'll Google it. (laughs) Google's a great resource. Just don't look at Wikipedia for the answer, right? But hey, build a habit. Lastly, last thing, establish accountability. Because you and I know we don't have margin for this in our lives. We're too busy. We've got a lot of things going on. And at the end of the day, we're tired. We just worked a ton. You had to deal with kids. You had to deal with sporting events. You had to deal with all this stuff. And what gets pushed aside? It's God's word. And we'll never know fully the instruction that God wants for you and me. We'll never know fully. God, you need to expose what's going on inside. Things that you don't like, the things that don't look like Jesus. We'll never be able to go through the process where God just needs to tweak some things inside of us to set things right. And then when storms and valleys in our life keep coming, we won't handle it well and we won't represent Jesus well to other people who see us go through the storms in life. So find time. Praise team, make your way up. I want to close with two questions. These are two questions I think we all should be asking the biblical text every time you get into it. I'm a little different because I'm a little weird. I have three pages of questions I ask the biblical text in different categories. This morning, I told you I read 14 verses. Three places were mentioned in the 14 verses. I stop and say, where was this place mentioned before? What has gone on there before? There's probably significance there. So what has happened there? What is this place? Where is it located? I ask those types of questions. For some of you, you're like, yeah, I want those questions. Hey, I'll, I'll share my paper with you. I'll share those questions. For others, you're like, dude, you're a Bible dork. I'm not there, <laughs> all right, which is great. But ask these questions. Number one, what's God saying to me? Whether you've read a chapter or five verses, what, God, what are you saying to me? And follow up by asking, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to live this out well? And for some of us, you may just write down, I don't even know what these 10 verses are saying. Soak on it. Go back on the next day. 
Hey, reread those. God, I didn't quite get those 10 verses, but I'm going to give you these 10 verses again. And you read them again. And you're like, I'm still tired. I don't get it. Read it again the next day. And then maybe God will reveal something. That days later, you're like, man, I missed it from day one. But finally, on day 29, I got it. Same 10 verses. I should memorize that by now. What's God saying to me? What am I going to do about it? This is the reason why I love Sunday mornings and getting up. It's to take you on this journey. Because God's word is alive and it breathes life to you. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I just need to confess that there are times in my own life where I get it wrong, where at the end of the day, sometimes you sit there and go, wow, God, I never let your word even penetrate my heart. I never let your word even breathe life into me. Yet I'm trying to do life and I'm not letting the real breath that gives me life do anything. Father, I know some of us are out here this morning sitting there going, I just, don't, I just need to start somewhere. I just pray that your spirit would move and give them the courage to start somewhere. For those of us that are doing it well, you're like, you know what, I, I have my routine. I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm eating God's word and it's awesome. Give them just an extra dose of encouragement as they continue to do what they need to do. But God, I just pray for those of us in this room who are followers of you, who are followers of Jesus, who've surrendered our lives to you, that we would eat your word up every single day, that you teach us, that you need to expose things that are wrong in our lives, that you need to correct it and give us training so we can live like you well, because it says in your word, you have good works for us to do. Not just to make us good people, but to shine your light brightly for others to see. So I pray that we would take this in, that we would just hook our anchor on your promises that you have in your word. And may we look like you more and more, Jesus, every single day. And we pray this in the matchless name of him. Amen.